On this episode of Trading Camp, we interview K1 Calls. He talks about what makes a successful part-time trader and how to separate your macro bias from your day-to-day trading. This episode is brought to you by Kane Capital, a trading community over 25,000 strong featuring live trading alerts and educational content. Link in the notes to join for free today. It's so hard for me to sit back here in this studio looking at a guy out here hollering my name. When last year I spent more money on spilled liquor in bars from one side of this world to the other than you made. You're talking to the Rolex wearing, diamond ring wearing, kiss stealing, woo, wheel of dealing. Ladies and gentlemen, episode 43 of TCP Trading Camp Pod about to get underway. Excited to have everybody back with us for yet another episode. Today is Sunday, August 7th. We have K1 Calls joining us for the second time. So we did an episode with him early on in TCP's career. He's grown significantly since then, so it's going to be exciting to get the chance to catch up with K1, but before we bring him in, Noah, what's going on, bro? Alejandro, what's going on? Like you mentioned, we had K1 on the pod, uh, I want to say back in October, I think, it's when we when we first started out. And so obviously, um, you know, appreciate him helping us get started. And I think, you know, it, it's great to come full circle to get him back on the pod about 40 episodes later um, to chop it up. So I'm really excited for this conversation today. 40 episodes later. It's crazy. You know, we're now coming up on, I guess, like the one year mark in a couple months here from when we originally started TCP. Um, K1 is going to be, I think, the second or third guest who we've had on multiple times now outside of the guys um, who are part of King Capital, of course. So it's kind of cool. When we first had him on, as Noah mentioned, we were a lot smaller. King Cap was a lot smaller. Noah, you and I maybe had a couple thousand followers on Twitter. Yeah, probably less. <laughs> so yeah, things have really, really changed. Um, so yeah, I, I'm excited to get into this episode. K1, what's going on, bro? What's going on, everyone? Thanks for having me. Doing well, man. Lots to talk about, right? This recent rally. I see you um, have been trading really well. I know that there's been a lot of opportunities. So that's probably what we'll talk about um, first. But I guess. Let's do this. For those that haven't gotten the chance to listen to the first episode or for those who don't know who you are, if you don't mind just giving us a quick background as to how you got into the market and how you started trading. Okay. So essentially, the start of my trading and options kind of became or was kind of rooted from me wanting to get into it investing originally. Um, I began just buying shares of some companies that I liked uh, right before the pandemic kind of started. And as I saw more and more headlines, I kind of wanted to look into ways to play downside in case case anything were to arise from it. And from there, I I just had some spy puts that did really well. Um, And and that kind of just taught me the the power of options and got me really interested in learning how to trade those successfully just because um, of the small amount of money that I was able to leverage with such a volatile event. The power of options. That's, 
I think that's uh, what's so appealing to many people when they're first starting. It's quite simple. Like you'd look at, oh, how was I able to turn this amount of money into that amount of money that fast? But we always talk about how there's the other side to it. It's like, how was I able to lose this amount of money that fast? But I mean, yeah, man, that that hook, that first trade or that first attempt at trading options, if you're successful, and it seems that a lot of people are for whatever reason, that beginner's luck phenomenon, that plays a huge, huge role in striking that interest. And especially during COVID market when things were a lot easier. And it's funny, you're, you you know you mentioned you started playing puts. I feel like most people were playing calls, right? Especially COVID market. Absolutely. And I would say uh, to go off that beginner's luck phenomenon. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I stayed on that bear side way too long. It, it was my first options trade. And I did give back like almost all of those gains on the fish uh, or the initial first kind of go at options. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> I don't, I don't doubt it. I remember. <laughs> um, so I, I guess like if you want to call it my first stab at options or one of my first stabs was around the same time. And it was when we got that really strong sell-off and I was looking at a lot of the travel companies, companies in the travel sector. Right. Mm-hmm. And I had, no idea what I was doing other than, you know, I had a really strong bias that there's no reason that these companies should be ripping (laughs) was basically my thought process. And so here I am buying puts and just watching stuff go to zero. So that was kind of like an introductory period for me of, uh, Hey, that's not really how it works, but, um, yeah, man. So let's fast forward to how things are today. The last time we talked to you was last year, which is pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we weren't in the bear market yet. So let's talk about the bear market. We'll talk about the rally um, in a few minutes, but let's talk about earlier this year, how you saw the market kind of shifting and how that affected your trading. Yeah. So a big thing that I preached on the last episode was just finding the strength and playing the strongest sector in the market. Uh, a lot of my strategy in this uh, in the market before this bear market came from um, just just playing the upside on the strongest sector. So I, I would have called myself a perma bull at that time. So um, a big thing that I noticed going into the big sell off in January is there was less and less relative strength to be found. Um, and that's something that I always kind of look at when evaluating these pullbacks is, it, okay, is growth holding up or is staples holding up or is anything holding up or is everything dropping and what's the volume on the drops look like? Um, is it a rapid sell-off or is it just kind of a fade? Um, so that's been big. Uh, it, and just evaluating this bear market for me has just been looking around the market um, individually and seeing if it's just a really strong sell-off in one sector pulling stuff down or if everything's crashing altogether. I think what's been really interesting about this drop um, in particular is that it was a bit foreshadowed by growth in, in late 2021, right? Like Absolutely. We've had a lot of, obviously, like the indices and you know, mega caps really starting to pull back like in January, like mid mid to early January. 
but a lot of those growth names have been getting smacked since like November. So I, it's, it's interesting, like where somebody like you has a style where you can, um, you know, sort of look at different sectors and say, okay, this one is relatively weak. This one's relatively strong. You probably had a decent idea of, you know, what was to come for the broader markets after seeing all of this turmoil in, 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 um, growth tech for, you know, a solid two months before really everything else started to pull back. Um, and so, you know, I, I think having that framework, having that, having a plan, having something that, that gives you a bit of insight into what's going on in the broader market can let you not necessarily predict, but can have you catch some of these things, I think a little bit quicker. Would, would, would I be correct in saying that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and a lot of it is just like keeping your watch list kind of broad going into the week. And then um, you just kind of have a select like 10 or 15 tickers for each week where, okay, if I see this sector is the strongest that day, I'm going to probably try and trade this name for this sector. Um, just so then there's a little bit less uh, less to comb through in the week, but you still have like a an encompassing or encompassing list. Um, if you want to play downside in tech, here's the weakest tech name. Or if you want to play upside and staples, here's the strongest staple name. Um, that's usually what I try and do um, when trading those. But it's been tricky because um, I mean there there's been a lot of headlines and a lot of just very quick rotations in and out of sectors. So yeah, I think now more than ever, it's a huge advantage to have that broader knowledge and being able to go through, especially, you know, like the night before a market opener, the weekend before, and sort of picking apart which sectors you think are likely to either show relative strength or relative weakness. Because what we were able to do for a long time, especially at the end of last year was trade mega cap tech and trade the indices. And every day they were providing really, really nice opportunity. And what we saw was outside of the days where there were either massive sell-offs or massive rips in tech, we obviously have seen some pretty strong moves as of late as some of these names start to break out um, from downtrends that they were in for the entirety of this year. Now, or in you know during this year so far, there have been periods where we've experienced a lot of chop, right? And everybody's favorite names: Nvidia, AMD, Meta. There were days where, quite honestly, I would consider them untradeable because just because the options contracts are real nice and liquid, and everybody loves to say, "Oh, look at this," you know, trade I took on Nvidia. You look at how NVIDIA is trading versus, and now I guess we can transition into the recent rally. Some of these mega cap tech names have been relatively flat. SPY was, uh, you know, traded in like a $5 range this past week. Okay. So relatively flat there. Yet you have names like Piton, UPST, RBLX, all the growth um, high beta shit codes, right? That everybody hated for so long are now exploding to the upside. Carvana, CVNA, 40%. It was up on Friday. Yeah. <laughs> crazy, crazy stuff. Coinbase. CoinGap 30. Coinbase, are you kidding? I mean, just the, these names that were slaughtered for so long that are now breaking out of downtrends and, you know, being able to put your bias aside and being, um, you know, open to the fact that, hey, 
I'm really just using these stocks as vehicles to make money. I think that a lot of people will look at something like Peton and like, oh, I'm not going to trade that. Like, that's a bad stock. Well, what does that mean? You know, if I if I have if I think it's going to go up, mm-hmm. and you know, I can play options for a day trade or you know, hold it for a couple of days, right? We saw the Peton 11 calls go 500 percent this past week. Yeah. So I mean, that's the type of stuff that I think you know having having that edge or creating an edge for yourself where you're open to the fact that. There are things to trade outside of the indices, outside of mega cap tech. That's been, I think, bringing a lot of people. And I know it's been bringing you a lot of success. Yeah. And I will say uh, we talk about like how some people just stick to like trading NVIDIA or AMD because the option chain is so liquid. But um, a lot of times if you're able to catch these moves where it's like just them finally breaking out of like a month long downward chop, like consolidation zone, and it's finally breaking out of that. Those options are gonna have like no juice on them. Um, like the IV is so low compared to what it should be um, historically. So that's why we're seeing some of these like five thousand percent gains on on these growth or meme name um, options th- this past week is because the implied volatility is just so low right now compared to what it would have been five months ago. And at the same time, on the other side of the coin when nobody wanted to touch them, those same names were untradeable for the same reason, right? It was like the options were super liquid, spready, like people completely stopped trading these names. So now to pivot and to say, this is where, and obviously, you know, as I mentioned today, August 7th, this past two weeks, these past two weeks have just been incredible. And the opportunities to trade these names to the long side have been Phenomenal. Now, you know, moving forward, it could be a different story, but to talk about what we saw, you know, it was difficult, maybe a bit of a mental barrier to transition from this is something I shouldn't be touching to this is what I should be focused on. But yeah, I think that's where the money was. And I think that, you know, a lot of good traders were able to recognize that early and there were just awesome trades to be had left and right. And honestly, like, I would say a big thing for me during times like this is to just log off of Twitter and like read up about price action, like read reread volume price analysis or like a book that just talks about like objectively looking at price action and like quit trying to be an economist and try and be a trader. Like just look at the price action because that's what that's likely what you found success doing if you're successful. Is just following the price action. No, I mean, that's 100% true. I keep saying, and I, I might have to coin this term because I really like it, or this, uh, this saying, as an options trader, when I'm trading weekly options, options expiring that same week, I need realistically two five-minute candles to go my way to make money, right? So it's like, why? Mm-hmm. And I, I know exactly what you're saying and I can relate to it. You go on Twitter and everybody's, um, you know, focused on macro, which has been important and it's proved to be extremely important. And I know you're a big macro guy and so is Noah. Yeah. But the point I'm trying to make is like, I don't really care what the Fed is doing if, you know, I see Peton breaking out on volume, right? Like, so you got to, um, you got to be able to understand that as well. Yeah. You got to co- compartmentalize. Um, there's just two different ways to approach that. And I, I think if you're trying to, trade on the macro based 
view at all times, um, you're, you're probably going to just miss some really good opportunities um, on these short-term rallies. I think that's where it becomes really difficult too, though, right? Is like if you have a broader term view of the market and you say, you know, I, I think for X, Y, and Z reason, the market is going to trade here or the market is going to trade there, right? And you've got, it's well supported, it's backed up by data and, you know, whatever it is. And having that in the back of your mind and then also from day to day saying, even though I do believe that, you know, the market technically looks like it's it's going to break out, right? We, we have higher highs. We have, um, you know, particularly risk on sectors ripping right now um, over the past couple of weeks. Like, how do you, you personally, how do you take advantage of those opportunities while still having, you know, maybe a, a broader term view of, you know, the market maybe going here, maybe going lower, you know, throughout the rest of the year. Because I know that personally, that's something that I've struggled with, particularly over the past couple of weeks is, you know, I, I really do have this longer term view that the market is going to go lower. And I recognize it in the short term, you know, there are some factors that could lead to a short term rally. How do I capitalize on that, you know, from day to day, like Alejandro said, trying to catch those two five minute candles, you know, and sort of tune that out of, of you know, your broader mindset? Yeah. So I would say either what, what I've found is either just making a side port where I'm, I'm only adding like, like right now would be like adding November puts. Like I, I would be adding things with a lot of time and just not worrying about them and not using a lot of capital. Um, and just keeping that in the back pocket, or I would look at just trying to play the relative weak sectors um, until the market actually does pull down. Because there has been some decent um, downside plays this week too in the healthcare. I, I played PFE to the downside a couple of days, and that paid really nice. So there's also gonna be the the flip side of the coin where like playing. You see, like in the bear market, sometimes I'll try and play like calls. Um, sometimes in the bull market, I'll try and play puts if I, if I feel like the market's, um, overheated in one way or the other. That's really been like me over the past, um, couple of weeks, not necessarily with the long-term puts in, into November, but I mean, even, even money manager in our discord, right? He, he has, he was in a situation where he was short futures and then intraday, he would look for some of those rallies and say, okay. If I'm going to get, if we're going to have these intraday rallies, because I think this was like, you know, two weeks ago where we would just gap down and like rip intraday like every day. And so he was, you know, net short in his futures position. And then intraday, he would sort of look for that upside and say, okay, if I am, you know, going to be short in, in pretty decent size in futures, I might as well play the upside on these rallies, you know, intraday and try and make some money that way. So that, you know, worst case scenario, the market goes down and I make money on my future short. You know, and um, best case scenario, you know, market goes up, and I'll be I'll be able to capitalize with these with these almost like a hedge, really, like intraday trading um, trading calls. So I think that's another framework that um, could potentially work out. It's a little bit more complex than I think just buying um, you know further data puts like K one was talking about. But I think both both ways kind of allow you to have you know somewhat of the best of both worlds. Have you allow you to have you know that broader mindset of the market is going to trade lower and still capitalize on those short-term moves. With just getting into options with beginners, I've I've noticed a lot of people trading weeklies. Um, what do you guys think about that? Because I know um, this is just like as someone that has went from a part-time trader to a full-time trader back to a part-time trader. So why don't we start 
here because I think that you have a, like you said, you know, going part time to full time to part time. You have a, I feel like a unique perspective on, you know, the part time versus full time thing. So why don't you talk about that a little bit? How has that transition been for you? You know, going from full time to part time, part time to full time to part time. Talk about that transition. And then we can talk about some of the differences that you've recognized. Um, and we'll get into the whole weekly, um, options contracting because I think that that is a good topic to cover for sure. Yeah. So I would say a big thing um, that I kind of forgot being a full-time trader is uh, just kind of the necessity of, of making really thorough nightly plans if you're, if you're not going to be on the charts all day the next day. Um, and that's a big thing that I think... People preach quite a bit. Like I, I know Adam Sliver does a really good job uh, with his daily watch list, but I think that um, adding more structure to your trading plans is something that uh, was kind of a lost art for me as a full-time trader. Uh, so what I've began doing again has been finding my three to four favorite tickers each day and then deciding what strike I like for, um, for that trade. And then uh, looking at that that strikes kind of price action from the previous day and determining what um, what a proper stop loss would be and, and what kind of reward I should be looking at for that trade. Um, and just trying to keep your trades a bit more structured so there's less decisions to make um, intraday has been really key. And if you are um, kind of in a part-time trading situation, then you also really only need four to five trades a week. Um, that's something that has been a big adjustment for me as well as just getting back to taking less trades um, simply because you're not going to be able to completely manage your routine if you're scanning for new trades all day. Do you find that that enhances the quality of the setups that you take because you're taking less of them? You know, actually, I had my best month since February, the first month I started back at um, as a part-time trader. So I, I definitely think that. Um, I think that you also have to consider um, your risk to reward as a portfolio a bit more. Um, so there's a lot of good tools um, that you can find just like Google if you look up like risk to reward calculator. There, there's a lot of different like portfolio simulators. So you'll just type in what percent of your portfolio you're risking on each trade and what your risk to reward ratio is. So say you have a $1,000 port um, and you're losing $50 on your losses and making $100 on your wins. You just type in two as your risk to reward ratio and you would type in five as your percent risk and it will give you um, a variety of outcomes that they've simulated and tell you what your odds of actually being a profitable trader look like. Um, and that just gives you an idea of like how many trades you actually need to be winning and how much you actually need to net on those trades. Because I know a lot of times people confuse um, what their max sell was to what they actually netted. Like, it really doesn't matter if you hold something for 300% if you only net 60% on the trade. It's not a 300% trade. So um, it, it just being more conscientious about that has been really big this past week for me too, just um, for identifying if it's a 
good risk to reward trade as well as a high probability setup. Yeah. So when we had snipes on podcast, a stock sniper, it was, I think like a month or so back, we, we talked about the transition from part-time trading to full-time trading. So I made the transition earlier this year, same thing with Noah. And we talked about how the market doesn't favor full-time traders. So coming in, I was like really pumped. Like I'm going to have all this time to trade, like no other distractions. I get to sit there, you know, from nine o'clock in the morning until when the market closes. And I have found, and it was a lesson I had to learn really early on. Again, going back to that idea of the market doesn't favor full-time traders. My best trades, regardless of the fact that I can sit there and watch every single tick, are pre-planned. And it's when I see a setup that I had identified the night before, when I see it coming um, into fruition that morning, right? And I take the trade. Those are my best trades. Like for me, taking shit on the fly doesn't work. Like that, I started getting in a lot of trouble because, you know, I'm sitting at the computer and like I'm like itching and I'm like, oh, this is what full time trading is like. You know, you take 15, 20 trades in a day. For me, does that, got me in so much trouble like regardless and yeah i you know i went from that last month where i was working to that first month where i was quote unquote full time i saw my success level or my success rate drop like significantly and i was like sitting there like dude what is going on here i was taking more trades i was it's a completely different mindset i guess when i switched over when in reality, like you don't have to be that aggressive. You don't have to be taking that many trades. You're saying, you know, if you're a part-time trader, you take four or five trades a week. You know, if I'm smart as a full-time trader, I'm taking four or five trades a week because you're not going to find, and oh, what's the book? Um, Reminiscences of a Stock Operator. He talks about how, you know, no trader can possibly have a reason for entering a trade entering and exiting a trade every day or like at all times during the day. Like, so think about it in that sense. If you are trading with a system where you have boundaries, right? And if you're patient enough and you have found and back tested that this is what works for me, there is no possible way that you can be trading all the time, right? There's going to be large periods of time. Like for me, realistically, like I could probably go a couple of days without taking a trade if I don't see the setup. But what happens is I get impatient, right? And becoming impatient can really hurt you. But when you're at work, it's not necessarily the case because, you know, you can keep yourself occupied with other stuff. But yeah, I think it's important, you know, regardless of whether you're full-time, part-time, you don't have to be taking a million trades. Oftentimes, it's better to not be taking a million trades. It's like you come up with that setup, you plan it, and then you execute. And that's when it's like, oh. You know, right? Like it's like it's like, oh, I'm killing it. Like I knew this was gonna happen and now I'm able to profit off of my idea. Like that's what trading is is really, you know, all about. That has been a nice thing. Uh with with going back to part-time is uh there is that that pressure is lifted from you a little bit where you don't feel the need to make money every single day in the market. Um and that's I think something that a lot of people need to think about when they do switch to uh going full time. Is that they need to think about like how their um, trading decisions might change with a different routine. So let's jump into the 
discussion around weekly options contracts, I think, like you said, this isn't something that's talked about enough. And I think we really haven't done a great job of breaking it down on the podcast. And so let, let's let's go ahead and dive into that. I, I want to hear your thoughts on it. It sounded like you um, had an opinion one way or the other on you know trading weekly options contracts, particularly for newer traders who may not you know fully understand all of the mechanics of options. Yeah. So the best uh, the best weeks I've had trading options, uh, I I would say maybe a fifth of them have have been from me actually trading weeklies. And just happening to catch the right move with weeklies, most of the time, if I'm if I'm gonna net a lot on a trade, most of the time I'm adding adding some time to my contract, so it's not one or two five minute candles stopping me out of a A plus setup on the daily chart. Um, and if I want to add some lottos to sprinkle in, sure. But um, a lot of a lot of people like to glorify kind of like the percent of their position gain. When in reality, if you're able to size up a little bit more on a position um, and, and still maintain your risk um, by just buying some more time on the contracts, you, you might net more of your portfolio if you're, if you're able to do that um, and just buy with a bit more comfort than trying to size up in weeklies and really likely make an emotional decision. Yeah, but it's not as sexy and you can't post your Weeble card. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. No, but it, I mean, that's a great point. You know, sometimes, and I keep telling Noah this, like I want to put everything in Excel and like look at what I net when I hold on to runners versus like whatever other option I, I come up with. But because I feel like a lot of the times I'll, I'll hold on to some runners and I see them coming back to like zero or I'll stop out at like 20% on the rest of my position because what's happened in the past and I'm sure this has happened to you. It's like stupid, but I'll accidentally, you know, exit out or close my position. Like I'll sell uh, my runners trying to put a stop in or something. And I'll look at the P and L and I'm like, hold on. I'm like, that's not, that's not so bad. Like, so I think that's a great point. When you see these like massive gains, something that's important to note, uh, and I, I feel like we talked, we've definitely talked about this in the past. Um, maybe it was on spaces, but a lot of the times people are holding like one contract. Okay. So like when something goes 500% and, you know, they, they bought the Piton 11 coals at, um, you know, like nine cents or whatever. Are you chirping yourself? No, no, mm-hmm. no, I'm not chirping myself actually. Cause I bought them at <laughs> 19 cents. All right. <laughs> not talking about myself, but anyways, <laughs> It's like the monetary gain there like probably isn't anything crazy even though it looks sick. I also like to think about it this way like you know if you if you're going in heavy, okay, and you I'm out of most of my position first off at like 20-30%. I'd say I'm typically out of like 3 fourths of my position. And then from there I'm just like scaling cuz I'm like all right, like that's a that's a winning trade. Um so that's where I think, you know, once I realize like I'm right and I'm rewarding myself and then anything after that, like anything that explodes is just sort of the cherry on top. So my thinking has always been, you know, I size for that initial move. If I get anything outside of that, it's like awesome. You know, we make a little bit of extra money. I think that, um, you know, a lot of people go into trades maybe expecting 100% or 200%. And my thought process is I'm not going to enter a trade unless I think it can go 100%. But that doesn't mean that I'm holding for 100%. 
Okay. So it's like the setup needs to be good enough where, okay, I'm confident that this thing can double, but that's never my, you know, true expectancy in the trade. If I can get 20, 30% out of the trade, I'm like, dude, you did your job. Like, this is exactly what you're supposed to do. Okay, Juan, let me ask you, how do you go about sizing in the non-weekly contracts? Because one of the things that I always thought about with the non-weeklies, like like maybe like um, two, three, four weeks out is like, if I'm going to size up, right? I, I Let's say my average, usually I throw like a thousand per trade. Let's just say I'm, because I have more time and the contract's going to be less volatile or whatever, I'll take 2,500, 3,000, you know, on this trade. I You still have that risk to the downside of, you know, bad news or XYZ or whatever it is could come out and, you know, your contracts will get clapped. And then on the upside, you're still kind of only looking for, you know, if you're, if you're buying contracts a month out, you're really, I mean, what are you targeting? Like 20, 30% on your gain. So it's like, do you throw heavier and then just eat that risk? Or do you like, like, what's your kind of thought process around that? So what I usually do is I just have a tighter percent stop loss than if I'm trading weeklies. Um, just because like, if you get to minus 10% and it's a, it's a month out, like you're probably wrong. Usually the stocks actually moved quite a bit. Right. Um, compared to like weeklies where it could just be like a anomaly candle. Um, so, so it's kind of just more the management of the trades a little bit easier. Um, and yeah, I would say, I would say I'm usually trying to start scaling at, 30% 30% and I usually have a 15% stop. I'm usually trying to net about 50% on those, on those trades. Um, and that's me looking for stocks that are making breakouts on, on weekly setups. Um, just so if the move is actually going to happen, it, it is going to give a bit more of a move on the underlying. Um, so those less, uh, less volatile contracts still pay decently. That's a huge benefit, right? Of being able to sort of stay in something for a little bit longer, I guess, than like with weekly. So like even even like we talked about and and I've said this I'm sure on a different on a different podcast, but you know, when you take a trade, you can have, you know, those those situations where it works out better than expected. And you can't really take full advantage of that with weekly options contracts unless it's something like, I don't know, like Rev that just goes straight up like for like six days in a row. <laughs> like that's different. But like outside of that, you know. Well, because here's the thing, because even something like that pulls back intraday and like two five minute candles against you, right, are going to, like if you're trading those weeklies, especially later in the week, like how are you going to watch something go from, you know, you're up 200% and now you're up 100% and now you're up 50% without taking profits? Like, is that something you're really okay with doing? Because I think that, you know, what people don't realize is just because you know, something went crazy one day and then it opened again, uh, went crazy the next day. Like, look at the chart, what it did intraday. And for me, a lot of the times, like I'll look back in hindsight and I'm like, shit, like if I would have just held that thing, you know, it would have gone like a thousand percent. But then I realized, oh wait, this literally came back to like below my entry. So use or trading contracts that aren't expiring that same week. That's probably the best way to combat that, right? Because you have more time on the contracts. You can be more patient, right? They're not going to pull back like crazy. The premiums aren't going to get smoked on a, on a small pullback intraday. So you can kind of ride it out. 
for that bigger move if that's something that you're anticipating, as you mentioned. Or you could roll them. Or you could roll them. Yep, you can always roll them. And I mean, like with the trailing stop on options on weeklies, I feel like a trailing stop just pisses me off more than anything. Yeah. Usually. I hate it. Um, But like a trailing stop with monthlies is honestly pretty pretty nice um, just because the contracts aren't gonna knife so hard honestly any stop on weeklies pisses me off like any any stop like i i do do it obviously so like i don't lose all my money but i hate it it's so annoying it's because you know it's coming yeah yeah you know for a fact it's like all right i'm getting stopped out it's it's also like that's that's actually a great point um because when like k1 said like when you're down 10 percent on like a monthly it's like usually you're wrong like usually you you whatever your idea was it's wrong when you get stopped on the weeklies, it's like in the back of your mind, you're like, I don't even really think I'm wrong here. I'm just getting stopped out because the contracts went down X percent. Like, I don't necessarily think that this like I'm wrong. Um, I think that's what pisses me off about it. It's about finding that that healthy zone between like playing the chart and playing the premiums because, you know, obviously you want to play the chart as much as you can, but weeklies doesn't re- always allow you to do that. It's like, I don't know, like I'm not going to hold something down like 40% just because it's trading. Like, so that also ties into the fact that your entries have to be way more on point when trading weeklies, your exits have to be way more on point. So that's another, you know, topic we can get into. It's like you have way less uh, leeway, right? So if you're, if you're wrong margin for error, margin for error, exactly. So you could be, you could be right but still be wrong. And what do I mean by that? It's like you, your idea could be right, but you might get stopped out because you didn't time your entry correctly versus when you're trading a monthly, you could watch that thing. I, I don't know, like especially if you're trading indices, right? Spy trades a few bucks against you. You might be down 15, 12, 10% on your position. And depending on how you're sized, you know, that could be something that you're okay with versus a weekly that would be down 60, 70% in that same scenario. Absolutely. And I would say like it's pretty easy to kind of get a feel for for trading different contracts on the on those very liquid names without having to actually take the trades. You can certainly uh pull up those those premium charts and and look at like a 5 or 10 minute chart of those and kind of compare them to SPY and see uh kind of how those premiums do move so then you get a better idea of what your kind of trade management's gonna look like on a on a trade of that strike. I hate to plug Robinhood <laughs> because we obviously don't like Robinhood, but they've got like that options watch list feature that I've seen a lot of people use. Oh yeah, that's really nice. Oh, Weeble actually has one too. You just have to like kind of dig around in the option chain a bit to to get it to pull up. <laughs> oh cool, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's beneficial. So guys, basically what we're talking about is um, so the way Robinhood does it, and I'm assuming Webull is the same way, you can add an options contract to a watch list and you know, adding it to your watch list would be the same thing as uh, it's like the hypothetical situation is you're adding the contract. So if you want to practice trading options is I guess why they did it. And it is a useful tool. You add the, the contract to your watch list and then it'll show you where it's going. Um, from there. So let's say you want to take a trade and this is actually a pretty good idea. What you can do is add the weekly, okay, and then add the monthly at the same time and watch how the premiums move and um, you know, watch the percent um in which they move based on what the underlying is doing. 
And that would be a really good way to better understand exactly um, how the weeklies move compared to an options contract that has a bit more more time on it. So, I mean, what's the reason that most people trade weeklies is because they're cheaper, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're trading weeklies because if you're a newer trader and you're not super confident in your ability, you know, you have a thousand dollars in your account, you're okay putting $50 into a weekly options contract where it's like, you know, if it goes to zero, I'm losing 5% of the port. It's not, you know, massive. Whereas if I, you know, take this spy call that's, you know, three weeks out, cost me 200 bucks and that goes to zero, you know, that's a, that's a 20% hit on the port. So I think that's kind of what draws people to it. And, and they're like, you know, while I can learn while I'm learning, I'll just, you know, do the weeklies and, you know, it's cheaper and X, Y, Z. And I think, you know, like K1 was talking about, if you're not, A, if you're not going to be somebody who's sitting there like the entire day, like let's say you're a part-time trader and you've got things to do. You know, that's probably not going to be your best strategy is, you know, buying weekly contracts because, you know, by the time you come back to your computer, they could be down, you know, 50, 100%. So, I mean, I I think it's a little bit twisted where you get like, you know, it seems easier or or at least simpler and less risky because it's less money. And so that's kind of why people like dive into it. And in reality, like it's significantly more risky. It's just, you know the dollar value itself, I guess, is less. So it makes people more comfortable with it. Like, I'm not really sure like what the, or, and then obviously, you know, the, the second draw would be the, the, the huge gains that you can get when you're right. Like you thousand percenters and X, Y, Z, you know? So, I mean, it's, it really is tough. I think for the newer trader to come in and be comfortable buying something one, two, three months out, you know, it's going to cost you more and and pay less if if they get lucky and you're gonna have less contracts so you can't ex- so it's like different when you're trading weeklies let's say you can grab on you can buy like 10 contracts versus only being able to buy like two and now you're not even you know scaling out properly i think that's actually a nice thing about monthlies though is it does kind of force you to learn how to have conviction in your plays um if you're trying to do something other than scalp that's very true. Yeah. No, that's definitely a good point. It's uh it's definitely a, a big difference in in trading strategies, but I I just think um a lot of people uh don't really hear about trading the the monthly strike. Um and I I know noticed a lot of people have been doing that lately, at least the people that I've been trading with. So um definitely something worth looking at. I agree. All right, so the last thing I want to talk about here is what you expect moving forward. So as we mentioned, and as we've been talking about, we've seen this really strong rally, trading in a bit of supply here, um, resistance zone, if we're looking at SPY, SPX. I'm wondering what your thoughts are as far as how we trade um, short term and then how we trade um, into the, the second half of the year here. Yeah. So I think, again, we have another kind of pivot week um with cpi on wednesday so that will probably be we'll probably see some chop into that i would expect and i've noticed that it's kind of been a similar setup where we get a rally into cpi chop and then um usually drop from there this rally obviously has been a lot bigger and had some earnings to kind of fuel the rally so we'll see um We'll see if it plays out any differently from there, but I think CPI is going to be the big pivot for the rest of the the quarter, at least. Um, and, and then I think going into September, we'll probably see a bit more headlines, uh, midterms creeping up. Uh, but honestly, it, it really has been for me just 
focusing mostly on the price action. Um, and before I really want to shift to full on bear mode, I want to see a really like really nasty one or two daily candles with some volume to really um, be looking to to flip my bias fully. That's a really good point there. Um, and talking about CPI on Wednesday, an interesting conversation is so obviously a lot of people or the market seems as though it's anticipating um, a cold CPI print. So CPI to come in lower. There's been talk about inflation um, having already already peaked. So will CPI have or will this Wednesday CPI print have the same effect it's had in the past um, on the market? Because if the market is pricing in um, cold CPI, we don't know exactly how it's going to react. Obviously, if there's an overshoot, we'll trade lower. But will we see um, you know, a rally off of cold CPI print? I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Not that it's funny. It's like not that our, our guesses really matter. It's like whatever, yeah. <laughs> whatever happens is going <laughs> to happen. And we just trade it. Uh, we just try to react and trade it. But just an interesting thought there, I guess. Definitely. And I think that's been kind of like something that even has plagued me a little bit is just like trying to like, like a lot of, there's been a lot of mental gymnastics lately. I've, I've just seen on like Twitter is people saying like, okay, everyone's finally bullish now. Now they can pull the rug. And it's like, it doesn't necessarily work that way. Yeah. The guessing <laughs> games just don't, they don't really help anyone. I mean, it's like the same thing as so you try to top or you try to time the top of the rally is like the same thing as when everybody was trying to, I guess, time like the bottom or whatever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's like, just be careful, right? Just be careful going back to that point. Like if you're trading those weekly options, you need two five minute candles to go in your favor to make some money. So, you know, I guess for me, it's all about not overthinking it, playing the price action. Um, trying to recognize a shift in trend as early as possible and you know just just trading i think that so many people have so many opinions and that's how it's been all year long it has been just a matter of patience and just just waiting and seeing like no one no one expects you to be michael burry <laughs> yeah seriously I, well there's a lot of people trying to be uh michael burry i guess <laughs> all right k1 awesome having you join us brother now your second time on TCP almost a year later. It's a pleasure um, having you on, man. Thank you again. Yeah, it's been great to see this podcast grow. Um, I, I've i been an avid listener since starting my cubicle job. So shout out to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> awesome. But yeah, thanks for having me. You got it, bro. No, another awesome episode, bro. I'll see you next week for episode 44. Absolutely. Thanks again to K1 and we'll see you guys next time. Our content is intended to be used and must be used for informational purposes only. It is very important to do your own analysis before making any investment based on your own personal circumstances. You should take independent financial advice from a professional in connection with or independently research and verify any information that you find in our podcast and wish to rely upon, whether for the purpose of making an investment decision or otherwise.